Hi, I'm Don Terry, former National Football League official. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on the Elsie and Jack radio show with Cornbread. You are listening to the Elsie and Jack radio show, live from New York. And now, here are your hosts, Elsie and Jack. back there, Brad. Yes, Thanks sir. again for tuning in for another edition of the show. Your man, LC, and the Bread Man on the LC and Jack Radio Show. We're so thankful, thankful for you for listening in to another special edition of the show. Give us a shout in the studio. You can reach us at area code 347-843-4738. Up close and personal, Urban Talk Radio. Well, it's uh, always great, Brad, when we have a guest and we can talk. I mean, we have all different types of guests, but myself and the bread man are big, big sports guys. And it's always good to be able to get someone on where we can kind of talk talk about what we like, you know, which is sports, specifically football and this agenda. So we got a great guest that we're going to bring up in a second, that uh, sometimes you love them, sometimes you hate them. But somebody's got to do the job, right, Brad? <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> somebody's got to do the job. And you know what? They're human beings, and they do the best that they can do. I guess uh, the technology kind of makes it even more challenging for them. But you know what? Uh, I've kind of done the job a little bit myself, and... You know, you just can't make everybody happy. And uh, I think that's in life that you learn is that you make decisions and, you know, not everybody's going to agree with it. And uh, at the end of the day, that's basically what they do. They have a job to do and they do a great job. And every so often, you know, there's a big difference of opinion. But, hey, uh, that's just how it is. That's that's sports. So with that said, uh, Brett, our guest was a NFL back judge. He was promoted to referee to become the fourth African-American to do so. We're so happy and pleased to welcome to the show Mr. Don Carey. Hello, Don. Welcome to the Hello. LK Jack Radio Show. Pleasure to meet you. How's it going out there, out there in uh, sunny California? It's uh, 77, no clouds today. Wow. <laughs> it's a little chilly out here in New York, Don. A little chilly out here. We uh, we want you to send us, you know, the 75-plus degree weather, and we'll be very thankful that, you know, that you were able to do that. I'll work on that. <laughs> 
Well, listen, thanks again for uh, for jumping on. And, you know, we always get a lot of feedback. Uh, we had an opportunity for those that don't know. Uh, we had an opportunity uh, a couple years back to have your brother on, Mike Carey. Uh, for our listeners that tune in, they do know. Uh, we had him on the, on the show. And it was a great interview. And uh, he, he did give some enlightenment. And for those that know, I'm sure they know that Mike did... TV as well, so he was in the spotlight even more uh, than being on the field. He was, you know, visually being seen as the guy to interpret calls like yourself or other NFL officials have done. Let me ask you this, uh, Don. What before I guess we get into NFL? What what made you get into becoming an uh, an official? What was the driving force of kind of getting involved with that? From the, from the time I was very young, and I'm talking about seven or eight years old, uh, loved the game as it was broadcast, played it in the schoolyards, those kinds of things. But um, what actually brought me into officiating was my brother. I had left San Diego to go to school at the University of California at Riverside. And when I came back, he, he had been officiating for two years and suggested that it would be something that I would enjoy. And he was more than correct. It's a phenomenal experience. So Michael introduced me to officiating. And I had had a background. I had played at a very low level in college and had two excellent coaches that that taught the game very well on, on kind of an individual basis that you wouldn't get in a large program. So I knew a lot about the game because I paid attention. So I found that that experience dovetailed nicely into being an official. So that's how I got started. Ah, that's great. And it seems like uh, those of us that maybe couldn't make it as an athlete on the field, you're like, you know what? I think I can be that guy to make sure these guys on the field that do make it, that they follow the rules. And basically, I don't want to say you're the enforcer, I mean, that's a little strong, but somebody's got to be out there to make sure that the game is played the way it's supposed to be played. And if not, you're going to get a penalty. So I I, I give a lot of credit because, uh, you know, that's that's a tough, as I said in the intro, it's a very difficult job to to do. I I would, the words I would use would be administrator, game manager. Uh, The aspect of enforcement only comes in response to infractions so and they they make up a very very small portion of of all the responsibilities an officiating crew has on a game so uh, we're responsible for timing management of relationship with coaches and players and so in my experience those individuals that are enforcers do very poorly in the sport do not advance, and I I did not see any of that. You don't see any of that with good officials beyond the high school level, really. You might find a few that slip through, but the game requires a a really a collegial, cooperative environment, and not one of adversarial relationships. It's it's quite a bit different, and I'll give you an example. It's different from the adversarial relationship that you see continually in baseball and to a great extent in in basketball the two the, the three sports have different cultures in the way that officiating is applied there so uh, again i think that 
for officials, we look at ourselves as administrators and game managers. And I'm sure that umpires... I like the way you put that. (laughs) ...feel the same way, but... The way that, that cult, those two cultures are much different than the NFL or college, for that matter. Gotcha. So, uh, what's what's the actual process to become? You know, uh, you know, you became. I'm sure you you did youth uh, refereeing and went to high school and officially officiated college. What's the process though to become an NFL referee? My, my understanding is very very tough process to you know to become one yes i'll start with the beginning and use uh, san diego which is the process that i'm most familiar with but they're replicated across the country pretty much this way i would uh say that we have one of the best associations uh in the country based on all kinds of measures um but uh an individual decides that they would like to be an official and they join the local association in our case San Diego County Football Officials Association and in your first year you learn the basics mechanics philosophies principles of officiating in your second year a little more focus on Rules, rules application, philosophy, judgment, those kinds of things. So those things are being taught from the beginning. After your second year, if you meet the requirements for meetings and performance, you're certified. So after your second year, you're eligible to work varsity high school football games. The, the typical path that one takes if you're going to make it to Division One and then on to the NFL is that you'll have a successful high school career over a period of about five years, a total of five years from your beginning to your fifth year, and then you're eligible here in California, here in San Diego, to go to college programs, the junior college and small college programs, and all of it is by merit. You'll spend anywhere from, I don't know, you could spend your whole career at small college level, but if you're going on to the Division One level, you'll probably do that in the next five to five to ten years the times are not rigid it's a lot of this is based on opportunity Um, in the nfl and and at major college levels officials stay probably a minimum of 15 years so you can imagine that there are officials that are very very good that just because of the slow pace of movement don't get an opportunity so the the key to it as I see it, is to be in the right place at the right time with the right assets. And so you'll spend anywhere from, well, it could be five five to 15 years at the college level, Division One level. The NFL likes to have officials that have worked in major conferences, so this is not rigid, that uh, have worked before 60,000 people, had a high level of performance. Uh, they start to look at you about, three to five years out from when they may want to take you, and then you get an opportunity uh, if you're fortunate to work in the National Football League. So from beginning, using my experience, which replicates quite a few people, in two years being certified, uh, three years at, as a high school official, and then started working small college officiating, 
in year number 12, I got into Division One officiating, and I got to the NFL in 1995. So that was 20 years. I started in 1975. It took 20 years to get there. I never, never until it got to the closeness of it, had the goal of being a National Football League official. I wanted to be the best official that I could be at the level that I was. And, in fact, I thought that I would be ecstatic and would have been ecstatic being a high school official for the rest of my life. Now, I know what the NFL and Division One officiating is like, and so I would not have wanted to miss out on that experience. But just like the thousands of people that officiate this game, they do it for the love of the game. Absolutely. Now, the... And I commend you because you have to actually love anything that you do that long period of time. You have to love it. Absolutely. You know, you have to love it because, you know, a lot of people, we we do get a lot of younger listeners, and they always think that, and we have different types of people that are on the show, but they think basic success comes overnight. And, you know, I always reference different people that are out there and or people that have been on that say, you know, guess what? It, it, it takes time. And it's not all about money to be successful, you know, and what you love. Uh, it just happens, you know, you did something that you loved and you had an opportunity where everybody knows your name or did know your name, especially the players. <laughs> Maybe not for a group, you know. I'm sure most of them you had a good rapport with, but I'm sure there's always a couple out there where, hey, you had to be professional and, and do do what you had to do. And I'm sure coaches kind of fall in line with that too. You know, I'm, I'm sure most officials say, you know, 95% of the guys and, you know, the people that you – the teams that you work with are good. But you always have those couple people, you know, people out there that make it challenging for you. So um, what would you say is the, and you are a back judge, so a lot of action, even more so now because the game has changed. The game is, it seems like it's kind of changing back a little bit where the teams are actually running the ball more. seems like we went through a period there that uh, the majority of the plays were passing plays. But being a, a backfield um uh, uh, judge calling pass interference it was only one of your duties but how difficult is that I mean we see it on TV uh, it's real easy right for me to second guess you or whoever is playing that role as an official to make that call you know splits you know seconds and feel confident and you know what that was the right call. Even on TV, we may see it a little differently. How difficult is that? I I think it's like any other skill that the amount of time that officials devote to film study, philosophy, and the rules. I think that we have a lot of issues with the general public because they just don't understand the rule and they think that this is or isn't. And they're de- they're devoted and invested in the call that's made if it affects their team or their, their alliance or their bet, whatever it is, whatever it is that drives their interest. But yeah. <laughs> any, any, any level has been trained 
to make a judgment based on a certain set of criteria that's that's pretty fixed. Now, that doesn't mean we don't make mistakes, but the number of mistakes on those kinds of fouls are very, very small. At the NFL level, they grade every single play, and the, and the game still, if I'm not wrong on my statistics, 70% of the plays now are, are passing plays. And there are all kinds of things on a pattern that officials try to be in the best position to see. Uh, so that contact, contact or interaction between players may not rise to the level of a call, or it may rise to the level of a call, be, depending on a number of variables, but the variables are subject to a strict criteria for the call. So I would tell you that, that based on my experience and overall about National Football League, and it goes to college as well, who also has a rigorous review process, that 98% of the calls are right and on major call correct, and on major calls, it's probably fractionally larger than that. So the number of errors that are actually made by officials are, are very small, as you would expect from a skilled set of individuals, whether we're talking about engineers, electricians, doctors. Those are trained people right. that know how to act in certain situations, in any and all situations. So it's, it's not that tough. I think the toughest part of the uh, process for people is to be the ability to make that call and make make all your calls consistently. Consistent. If you're not going to be consistent in the way that you approach it, and consistent not only with your performance but consistent with other performance from other officials that are doing the same job. So I I would tell you that it looks tougher than it is. I don't want to say it's easy mm-hmm. because. The, are so good and things happen so fast and you're looking at seven officials on a field eight in some college conferences dealing with 22 players so as a back judge I my responsibility is to look at my initial responsibility and then to help out someplace else to get a better vision pattern and I think that your experience with officiating probably tells you something the same about we know when we kick a call and we wish we had not made that call. Those are the worst. The ones that we let go are the ones that are problem. That are the the ones that we call that are not there are the problem. And that happens also very rarely, but it does happen. But if you follow the Absolutely. procedures, you're not going to make those kinds of errors or not very not make gotcha. very many. So the difference yeah, between yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you're a human being. I mean, and <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry, Doc. That's okay. The difference between a no call and an incorrect call is enormous, right? It's like doctors. The first thing you want to do is do no harm. So you don't insert yourself in places if you don't have as much total confidence in what you are doing, and it doesn't. The process takes place over fractions of a second where you've already seen the action coming, looked at it, either passed on it or thrown. And you want to make sure that you, when you throw, you have met all the criteria for a foul. And that's that's the not the pressure, but that's the experience level that you have to get to. Lots of people can do that, 
but they can't do it in the last two minutes of a game. They can't do it with 60,000 people watching. They can't do it, do it thinking about the implications for their friends and family. Those guys get washed out rather early. Oh, wow. Okay. Didn't even realize that. Yeah, I mean, you know, just like it is to be an athlete, to be a referee special as well, an official, where you're, like you said, 60,000 people screaming and, you know, not everything, uh, unfortunately, is being nicely screamed at you. So I'm sure you don't even really hear most of that. You're kind of focused in and you've been, that's where you experience, like you said, you come in just like any other professional. You kind of tune everything else out and you, you, you understand um, just like the athletes, you know, it's third down and, you know, 10 or 20 and or just whatever, third and one, third and inches. You know, how important it is to focus in and make sure you make the right call, if there's a call feed you have to actually even make. So, like I said, I I get it. You know, you guys are, like I said, in some situations are a no-win situations just because, like you said, if you're playing in Pittsburgh or you're playing in Oakland with that crazy crowd out there and you make a call that they don't like, <laughs> it's all white noise. It's uh, you're on, you're on the field. You're you're on the field dealing with that. You know intuitively how the reaction is going to be, and it and it, it sort of just filters out until there's a a timeout, maybe after a score, or after a field goal, where you where it's quiet and someone will yell something. But you ignore that. You, it just right. it means nothing. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like I said, it's uh, it's a job, and uh, you you do, uh, and I'm sure you did a phenomenal job uh, doing it. Let me ask you this: with the technology now, with replay, is that something that the referees really like? And I know it's been taken out of you guys' control, so it's actually going to New York. What's your thoughts about replay, and you know, making that call and it gets overturned? All right, uh, I'll start with the beginning of my feeling about replay. Uh, my feeling about replay before it came in was that I didn't like it. I didn't think it was necessary. There was a period of time up until about, oh, probably five or six years ago when it came back in that it was used sparingly. Um, and my feeling about it then was that the replay showed how often the officials were correct. The difficulty now, as opposed to when I started officiating in the National Football League, is that the the number of cameras on games, the number of angles, the quality of pictures is just so, so good that you can pick up things of a ball being on the ground, uh, fingers under it, that you can't see in real life. So having said that, I my feeling about about uh, replay now is I do not like it as a fan of the game. I think it is too intrusive. I think that it, it does not return. It's not good for the return on the investment for the game. And I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about games that have stops, that change momentum, and I'm I'm just a believer that sports is about all kinds of things, and we don't we don't as a uh, group of individuals 
give players or coaches an opportunity to fix their mistakes. And I'm not being critical of coaches or players, but that the intrusion of replay in the game now is just, for my taste and sensibility, far, far too much. And I would do away with it, and I couldn't tell you the criteria I'd use. I think I would probably only only use it on scoring plays and sparingly at that. So when we look at all these plays that go back under review, the, the criteria for changing catch, no catch, is subject to the rules. It's not just what the video shows, but what the rule book said. And, and I think the NFL was on the right path with the changes that they made uh, with regards to catch, no catch this year. Uh, it's, it's probably the right decision because I think that we were being, not we, that the, the game was being um, held to a standard that's far above what an official can see. And I'll give you I'll give you a let's look ten years down down the line. It would be capable mm-hmm. of officiating a game with two or three officials on the field and do everything from cameras everywhere. I don't think we want that. I don't, I don't think that would that's good for the game. That's not the way it's done. And I, I feel the same way about replay. Don't pay that much attention to basketball, but I don't like it in baseball either. So uh, I, I started agree. with. I mean, it slows the game down tremendously. Especially in baseball, it's like hold it, hold up, let's double check. I mean, and I agree with you that I think there's a role in every sport, especially like you said, scoring plays in football. Right? Everybody wants to get that right, but these every every call, it, it gets pretty ridiculous, and the games just get too long. And yeah. it's like you know, it takes a lot of the fun out of the human. You know, it's played by humans. Played by so humans, they make officiated by humans who make mistakes. And at the professional level, professional athletes don't make very many mistakes, and neither do the officials that officiate those games. There, there has to be an acceptance. But I don't make those decisions. Someone else makes those decisions on what they want to do. But if it were for, for me, I would say I want to roll it back as far back as I, as reasonably possible. And only when there's an egregious error do you insert yourself. So you've got, we've got plays that, that are subject to judgment calls and the application of the rules for the whole game. And now we seize on these plays that have to do with the goal line or catches and think that they are any different from those other things that get judged on every play by seven different officials. So we're, I, I'm opposed to it now. Gotcha. Now, with that said, and, and you touched on a little bit, uh, is the new rule, and specifically, and we can talk about the the uh, the other rules as well, but specifically the catch rule. So, if I'm correct, and you're an official, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, the new catch rule is specifically control, and if they have two feet, and if they do quote unquote a football move. Is that yeah. is that correct? Well I'm gonna get myself out of my element because I have not been into the NFL rule book or paid that close of attention. But that's that's what it used to be. Possession with two feet down and uh they may have added uh performing a football act, but I'll just leave it to possession and two feet down. 
and there is a time element. So uh, yes. one of the downsides to changing that rule that you will see is now when a receiver has possession and two feet down and he, and there's the smallest element of time and now that he's hit that ball is going to come out and that's going to be a turnover that's not going to be that's not going to be an incomplete pass it's going to be catch fumble with the ball down on the field subject to being recovered by the defense or the offense so there i have not heard it discussed by very many people but that's the danger of of changing the rules so that you lean on the side of making it a catch you will see um i don't couldn't say many more but you will see more turnovers in the middle of the field where a, a player in the past would not have had to have two feet down would had to have two feet down in possession now it will be a catch and a fumble rather than a catch and incomplete pass that will have tremendous impact at every level of the game if it goes whatever level uses that criteria and I agree with you. I definitely agree with you. They were talking about this. Uh, actually, NFL. It was. Uh, they said that their estimates were, and you, you, you know, you were pretty much in the ballpark. They, they think that it will be a small, possible small increase because now uh, the fumbles would be, and you're going to have these guys that fumble. It's not going to be incomplete. So you're exactly right. Of course, you being the official, hit that on the head. It's. Uh, like you said, if you change something, uh, it, it, it's going to affect something else. But I, I like it just keeping it, you know what, in the game. So I'm a, not just because my team was affected, but, you know, I'm a big Cowboys fan. And everybody knows back in, in uh, 14, the Des Bryant catch. Well, it wasn't a catch. But initially, all these calls that were, they spotlighted the NFL to change the rule. They, they kind of, you know, cut, went right to the chase and, and spotlighted five calls that were all initially catches and then do, via replay was changed. And the Des Bryant play was one of those. Uh, Calvin Johnson was another and several other uh, where he, you know, under the old rules per se, you know, he, could, he, he had uh, control or possession, as you would say, and had two feet down. Um, and so... I'm, I, you know, it seemed like the NFL tried to, I guess, over the years, try to fine tune it, fine tune it, and just got too complicated. And you know, the players, coaches, and even the officials, I'm sure, you know, they didn't say it publicly, was like, "Come on, man, you're making this job not impossible, but just very difficult for us to to officiate." So I'm kind of yeah. glad that it's just like, hey, guy, he's got possession of the ball and he's got his feet in. Okay, great. You know what? And and, and kind of roll from there and, and see what happens. And, you I, know, I agree. So. I'll, I'll give you just something yeah. to think about. We got to this sure. place in, for this through a same the same number of reasons and issues going back to a Bertie Manuel catch in a Tampa Bay um, Rams game in the playoffs that changed the rule the other way. So. Uh, the most important thing to realize and to analyze when you're looking at any play is what does the rule say? What what 
do the rules say about that? Not what do I emotionally want to have happen and what do I feel has happened because the seven guys on the field and the people in the replay booth, they they don't get to have that judgment. Their judgment has to be opaque or, excuse me, transparent as uh, and applied to a set of rules and standards. And I think that's the biggest difference between what fans look at and what officials actually, the job that officials actually perform. We're not invested. Are not, by definition, in in any aspect. They don't care about whether they make this call, whether it's going to impact their playoff career or playoff assignment for that year. They just do it. And if you start thinking about those things, just like athletes, if you start thinking about the repercussions rather than the action in front of you, that's when you start making mistakes and waver all over the place to sort of satisfy some criteria that really do not apply. Now, the other rule that was changed, I believe, was the uh, the, the tackling, the, uh, like the college, they call it the targeting rules. The NFL is not calling it that. Uh, uh, what what change has been done there, Don? Well, it, and what's your again, I have, on that? I'm not intimately involved with the NFL rules the way I would if I was on the field officiating now. The way that I have seen it presented is that it's initiating contact with the helmet. Now, we're not talking about, I don't believe we're talking about interior line play. We're talking about those plays that happen in the open field on defenseless receivers. Um, however the league is, designed, is deciding to uh, apply that rule. So there's been an outcry from people that say, this: you're changing the game, you're destroying what was a great game. Well, the fact of the matter is, over the last 10 or 15 years, if you if anybody's been paying attention, you you see what are a, a tremendous increase in the use of the helmet as a weapon intentionally. Now, that doesn't mean that if I'm making a tackle and I make my helmet makes contact with the chest and then sort of rises up and hits a player in the face. That happens all the time. It is when you lead with the helmet and initiate contact with the helmet. And um, just to talk about where the game is now, the the evidence is pretty clear that um, head trauma is not a good thing. And it happens, starts happening at a young, young age. So it is critical for the future of football to minimize, you're not going to eliminate, to minimize the impact of, of head trauma. And that head trauma affects the deliverer of the blow and the recipient of the blow. So uh, the NFL, quite wisely, has decided that they want to get the helmet out of the game as much as possible. You're seeing a backlash from people, fans, players, that think their game is being changed to a place that it can't be played. That's not the case. And I'll take you back to, oh, probably about to 2005, if I, my memory serves me well, when we started emphasizing helmet-to-helmet contact initiated. If you were to go back and look at statistics or just look at a game, the way the game was played prior to, to, to instituting the rules to eliminate that, the number of headshots went up 
tremendously. Uh, you can hardly see a receiver that goes across to make a catch that the off defender doesn't come in and try to deliver a a blow with his helmet. It happens all the time, and I think that um, philosophically it's still a very physical game, and it's being taught in a way that if I can t- intimidate uh, a player or actually cause him not to want to do things because he's going to have to pay a tremendous price for it, he will. So I believe that when those rules were emphasized, for whatever reason, the incidence of those kind of headshots on runners and receivers went up tremendously. So that hasn't been good. We, we the NFL, the people that run the game, have, have quite wisely looked at not only the health and safety of the players, but the future of the game um, is is absolutely is at risk. Is at risk. I can see a game. Uh, I can see somebody making a whole lot of money by going and establishing a flag league or a, a league with no helmets, no pads. Maybe you would have pads, but there would be no helmets, and it would be flag. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.